welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damn as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Awesome. Well, welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here. We are joined today by Dr. Richard DeClue. He is the, again, another long title from Word on Fire Institute, Cardinal Henry de Lubach Fellow of Theology. So welcome, Dr. Richard. Um, what does that mean to be the Cardinal Henry de Lubach Fellow of Theology? Yeah, well, Cardinal Henri de Lubach was a French theologian who was highly influential in what I'd refer to as the Communio School. He was friends with Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, And Pope Benedict the Sixteenth actually says in his own memoirs that reading de Lubach's work fundamentally affected his theology. Wow. And so he's sort of like the the grandfather of a lot of great work that was trying to reclaim the center in a way and be very traditional and conservative without being locked down into just one strain of the tradition. Yep. So he was very big on, for instance, patristic studies, studying the church fathers directly and, uh-huh. and also understanding the connection between different doctrines to one another. So his book, Catholicism, for instance, does a great job of doing that, trying to show Catholicism as one whole, not just a bunch of separate doctrines, but a collection of or different facets to one gem that is our faith. Yeah. What, like, what is it that gets you passionate about what you do? If you could pick like what you do every day, like what would it be? Because I know mine would be like just sitting in a coffee shop with random people talking to them about Jesus, you know, or just about their life, about faith. Like that's what would fire me up. I would love to get paid to do just that. Mm-hmm. Like, what about you? The beauty of Catholic truth and wisdom. So studying it, like sharing it. Teaching it. Yeah. Like okay. making it accessible to other people. Gotcha. To me, that's what motivates me is like, how do I make this vast collection of doctrines more understandable to people of our day. Gotcha. And how do you know when you've met met with success? Like, is there a moment you can see in a student or someone's eyes when you're like, that just landed, right? Yes. Yeah. When you see their eyes light up and they're like, oh, wow, I never thought of it that way. That's really what <laughs> makes it all worthwhile. And, and the yeah. challenge, I think, is that it's always been there. Like these truths have always been there. And so many people really fail to have access to the depth of the beauty of the Catholic faith. And in uh, one aspect that we're diving into today is Catholic social teaching. You know, and I, I called it in our show prep, like I called it like the best kept secret of the Catholic church. And I think now more than ever, that's true, especially in the midst of a lot of the different advocacy that is happening around racism or justice in a a lot of different ways or equality and and things of that nature. And it's like, well, Catholic social teaching has been already rallying for these things for literally centuries, literally centuries. I was going to say like, so that phrase you said, the best kept secret in the Catholic church, that like, I used that phrase 20 years ago. And how long before that had it also been used? Not only has it been kept, it's it's still being kept 20 years since I've been in ministry and we still say in the same phrase. So we should be whispering during this podcast, right? Like, hey, <laughs> yeah. don't tell anyone. But but when in general terms, <laughs> when we say Catholic social teaching, because I know you've you've helped uh, with a Word on Fire publication on the Catholic social teaching collection, that book. But what is meant when we say Catholic social teaching as a body that you would want ministry leaders to know or kind of capture in that phrase? Yeah, typically speaking, when we talk about Catholic social teaching, we're looking at a more recent tradition of papal encyclicals and one conciliar document, starting with Rerum Novarum, 
in 1891 from Pope Leo XIII. I love how you say recent. I'm interrupting. I'm sorry. I love how you say recent and then say 1891. Yeah, well, for us, that's like just (laughs) happened yesterday. Like Exactly, yeah. (laughs) For theologians, oh, that's pretty recent. So, I mean, obviously, its basis is in Scripture and throughout the tradition. Thomas Aquinas is actually a major part of Catholic social teaching as well, um, especially the aspects about justice since that's a lot of Catholic social teaching deals with justice. But Pope Leo XIII in his Rerum Novarum, which means of new things, was addressing drastic changes in society that had taken place. You know, you had the advent of like more capitalist economy as well as the development of socialism and communism. And so he was trying to address what he saw in the philosophy, those philosophies, as well as the how to address the impacts that they might have. And that sort of spurned on these a series of encyclicals following that from the popes that came later. There was a document that was published on the 40th anniversary of Rerum Novarum, yep. the 80th anniversary, the 100th anniversary, as well as others in between addressing those social aspects of Catholic doctrine. And it's such a, a wealth of material because it really ties in together a lot of different aspects of theology and how it applies to not just the individual, but to all sorts of levels of groupings. So how it affects family life, how it affects local life, how it affects national life, how it affects global life. And it's really just a wealth of information. I always encourage people like try to study the documents themselves because, you know, it's probably is the best kept secret in the Catholic church, yet it often is paid lip service to. Like people will just say Catholic social teaching and then they'll just say something as if it's in the documents when it might not be. Right. Yep. And so I always challenge people with these documents to try to have a little bit of docility. One thing we have to do is realize this is Catholic social teaching. It's not American social teaching. Yep. It's not European social teaching. It's more global than that. We all have this tendency of, of filtering what we hear through our own immediate context and not realizing that ours is not the only context. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because Rerum Navarum came out in, in the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, right? And then so many of these other documents talked about the complicated realities that continue to flow from some of those different different moments. So these, these documents don't capture the totality of it, but they started a dialogue that hadn't been had at this type of a level and led to more and more kind of conversation about what does it mean to say that we have a right to work? a dignity of the worker, mm-hmm. and really that, that the people should be able to provide for their own family. And that's where the American idealism kind of comes in. And it's like, wait, what does what exactly does that mean? Does that mean I also have a right to provide Disney Plus for my own family? Or, you know, like, <laughs> what exactly does a just wage look like in those conversations when there's other people that are just trying to make sure that they have bread for their children, you know, and it's it's a totally different thing when you look at it in more uh, macro level. So, well, and something that I find interesting is it may be that the totality, like um, Catholic social teaching is not understood by everyone, but like I would say almost everyone has a one of the themes from it that's very important to them. And that may be the only thing that's important. So like as I was looking through the different themes in it, if anybody's a cafeteria Catholic, it's around this. Like this is yeah. what's important. I'm going to latch onto this and fight for this, but not the other things. And I'm going to ignore the other things within it because they don't fit with my political stance. 
And I think that's where it becomes problematic. It's okay to be passionate about one of these things and supportive about all the other aspects, but to be only this is my hill to die on and the other ones are dead to me, that creates huge problems. Yes, and it's it's a general principle for being a Catholic, but I think particularly in the area of Catholic social teaching, it's something that we have to intentionally practice because the reality of it is most of us are formed in our ideas about socioeconomic and political ideas from our secular culture. Yeah. So most of us have heard arguments from both sides of the aisle, so to speak. And the fact that we even have pretty much two sides of the aisle is already somewhat unique. A lot of countries have multiple parties that we tend to, because there's always a constant battle in our, our nation over the political parties and their different economic views and things of that sort, that we get very much into a team mentality of, you know, this versus that. And therefore, we can tend to become tribal and protective of the entire platform from either party because we we always think, well, that sounds like them. Yeah. I don't yeah. like that. Like, <laughs> And it's sad because what ends up happening is when people hear Catholic social teaching, they start judging it. Well, does this line up with what I've already held based on my socio-political economic allegiances? Right. And they get allergic if they hear anything that seems out of sorts. When it should be the opposite, it should be, wait a minute, let me take a step back. Let me listen to the wisdom of the church and then judge what the secular society says based on that. And that yeah. personally for me, when I started studying Catholic social teaching in college was eye opening and probably uncomfortable. Yeah. But it was like, I was like, this is like so beautiful and wise, like this makes sense. And then I was starting to be able to kind of take a step back and, and reconsider what I had thought about certain things before. Yeah. I've had some conversations like global warming. Is global warming happening? Yada, yada, yada. And, and I'll get into these debates and it's like, okay, forget whether or not it's happening. Answer me one question. Are we taking care of the creation we've been given? Like, are we doing the best to take care of what we've been given? And like universally, everyone said, no, we can do better. Okay, great. Let's start there. Right. Like, let's start. Let's there. start there. Yep. You know, and so that's just not we just don't tend to think that way because Catholic social teaching isn't red or blue. Yeah, right. No. Yeah. If you look at it, but it's not purple either. And a lot of people are like, well, there's kind of a blending of the two. And I would say, no, that's not true either. There's something is it stands on its own without being connected to anything. And the other thing should learn from it, not the other way around, which is kind of our bias that, that, that we say when we read into things, you know, so. So as ministry leaders, I want to encourage everyone to really seek to look at Catholic social teaching as a whole, because I think we all have pieces that we're passionate about. And the beauty of that is we can maybe speak with more authority or more depth in regards to those areas. But if it means that we're not speaking towards the whole of Catholic social teaching, then that is a disservice to those that we're seeking to form or journey with. Dr. DeClue mentioned diving into the actual documents, the sources, but like you don't have to do necessarily a deep dive and read all the documents to be able to understand the bigger picture of Catholic social teaching. And that that I think is, is something that gets lost is people learn more about aspects than the body. And that's that's problematic. Yeah. And I would like to add too, like for those who are actually in ministry and might be educating other people by Catholic social teaching, um, I would encourage them. This is the other side of the coin I was talking about earlier. Try to present that teaching accurately and don't try to just use it as a means to your personal ends. Give us an example. For instance, I tend to hear you hear people talking about well, Catholic social teaching says this and they start pushing certain agendas. And you're like, well, that's not really the full picture here. Immigration, for instance, I taught a course for a lay ministry program on this. And a lot of people were shocked when I just said, this is what the documents actually say. And they were like, what? 
and I got some pushback on it. So people tend to, depending on what side of the aisle they're on, they'll say, oh, well, the church is pro-immigration. Well, yes, it, it is, but it's, it is nuanced. It's not, you don't have a right to control your borders or anything. It does say that each country has to decide what they can reasonably take in, yep. um, but encourages them to be generous to people fleeing other nations. So it gets politicized one side or the other. You know, some people emphasize our right to keep people out. And the other side will emphasize we should just let anyone come in. And even if it's, you know, done illegally, it advocates for a legal process for allowing immigration to take place. Well, and that's because of that, the option for the poor. Yeah. You know, and the vulnerable. If you're going to err on one side or the other, you're going to err on the, on the side for the poor and the vulnerable. Yeah. And, and what's what's neat about it is that it will it'll emphasize the complexity of the rights because you have the rights of the nation to secure its borders and to, you know, because the nation does have it in a certain sense, an obligation to its own citizens first. That's just a reality. Yep. People might not like yep. that, but that is just sort of that's the purpose of a government is to benefit the justice of its people first. But then it's also supposed to be part of a larger society as well and not just be isolationist. So there's a complexity here, but then there's also the rights of the people. I mean, if you're, you know, the head of a household in an economically impoverished place or a place that's being run over by a totalitarian regime, and you need to protect your family by going into a safer place, there's also a certain right you have to try to flee that dangerous situation to protect your family. Yes. And so it's like, sometimes people will only emphasize one or the other. And it's like, no, there's two things here and we need to find a way to allow both to have their rights respected. Like we have room in our home, you know, to bring in more people, but only a certain number before it gets overrun. And then the same thing for the resources we have. We could bring in a few people, but at some point the resources run out and everyone, you know, loses out. And then there's also, who are we going to bring in our home? Are we going to bring in a murderer? And like that kind of thing. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, probably not. That would not be good for my family. And I don't know if that's a, a good correlation or a good analogy, but that's just kind of what came to mind when you were talking about it, just on a scale that made sense to me. But, but that does need to be considered. Yeah. And and that tension that exists as ministry leaders, we need to acknowledge that there's tension in the Catholic social teaching. And it's, it's meant to be there because it, it can't be a turnkey solution for every single conversation or scenario. And so it creates the dialogue, but the dialogue needs to be at the service of unity. And unfortunately, we've seen it applied in a number of different ways, both in the church and in the political sphere here in the United States, at the service of division yep. or encampment. You know, I'm on this team. I'm on the sovereignty of our nation team. Well, I'm on the dignity of the immigrant team. And and all of a sudden they're divided. And it's like, no, we need to have dialogue together to come to something that serves both of these realities because these two aspects of Catholic social teaching are not at odds with each other. They are part of a greater whole. That's why you got into to teaching, mm-hmm. right? I mean, this is part of the beauty that you want to reveal and showcase. So that that's our job as ministry leaders is to figure out how to navigate these pieces in the way that we showcase it. And a lot of times when we're showcasing it, we set the stage for kind of the rules of engagement in regards to the dialogue surrounding this. And oftentimes, I think that sometimes my passion project all of a sudden becomes more divisive than it does unitive, and that's problematic. Yeah, and for for those in in leadership, especially educators, I always try to point back to, because it's really part of the prophetic office of the church. You know, we have the priestly, the prophetic, and the kingly. The prophetic office of the church, you have to think back to what the word prophet is. It comes from the Greek prophetes, which means to speak on or behalf of another. Mm. So... A prophet is a messenger. He's not the source of the message. 
he's the one through whom the message is being given. But it has to be given insofar as it was handed to them and then passed on in its integrity to the audience it was meant for. So as educators, it's not our job to change the message to suit our liking or the audience's liking. It's to hand on the teaching of the church and its authenticity, which means we first have to be disciples of that teaching and not just try to use the church's teaching as our own weapon and mold it and fashion it into what we want it to be, but to try to be open, to be formed by it so that we can inform others. Yep. And as, as the leaders, from God to us, we use our prophetic voice. But for those that God desires to love back up to us, we use a voice of advocacy. It's the same message, but from one angle, it's prophetic voice. But from the other angle, we're advocates for the lost, the lonely, and the least, you know? And so it's really, it's unique. And sometimes we even find ourselves in the midst of it to where we need to advocate for ourselves. And this is my attempt to transition into a deeper dive into one aspect of Catholic social teaching, which is which is just wage. And so it, just in regards to a deeper dive, we want to encourage every ministry leader to do that. We're going to model that now as we dive into kind of the tension that exists, I think, in the church surrounding just wage. And so what does it mean to say that people should be paid a just wage? Yeah. So basically, just wage is a principle that one's remuneration for work. So that's what a wage is. It's what you're being paid for your work. The principle is that an adult should be able to receive a pay that's commensurate with the amount of work done. So considering how much work you're doing should increase your pay. It should allow him to have a full balanced life for himself and his or her family. So it should be enough to provide for their security and the security and sustenance of one's family. And so that's really what a just wage is. It's owed to the person as a matter of justice. And here's where I think Catholic social teaching is brilliant as well. It condemns socialism and communism as intrinsically flawed philosophies. Okay. It also says, well, capitalism can also and has been misused in many ways as well. So it offers a critique of that, even if it's not intrinsically evil per se, laissez-faire economics is not sufficient to guarantee a just society. Because one, economics is not the only or primary value that we have, but also because just because someone is in a situation where they have to sign the contract doesn't make the contract just. Yeah. So someone saying, well, this person doesn't really have any other options. I'm sure I can keep their wages low so I can keep more profit for myself is not just. Yes. Because you're taking an advantage of their dire situation. Yep. So you're not really paying them a just wage if it's just, well, this is the least amount of money I have to pay them to get them to do the job. Well, that's not really just either. So especially if you're going to be making a lot of profit off of their labor. The same argument is, oh, well, the next guy's paying them half as much. I'm paying them double what the next guy's paying them. And it's still not a just wage. That doesn't mean, right? That's the same, the same thing. Right. Yes. So there's a right to receive compensation for the work you do and the fruits that it produces. And that right doesn't necessarily include driving a car that was built in the last five years. Right. Like there's certain there's certain things to where it's like you can get by with a 2005 Ford Explorer right. or whatever it is to, to drive your big family around. But at the same time, I think there is some tension that exists in the ministry world because someone who takes their skill set is making at times less than half what they would make doing the same work in the secular world, Yes, right? There's a lot of different caveats. It's like, well, it's maybe not as demanding. And I would actually argue like the gospel is demanding. If it's not as demanding, that's a problem. But 
hours wise, I, I think that there is a little bit more of a balance in many situations. Although the negative aspect of the HR monster has found itself to manifest itself in a number of different parishes and things like that as well. So I'm not saying to paint unilaterally, but it creates a tension when you're like, well, I could move on to this job over, just drive downtown and do the same work and make twice as much. And it's like, whoa, there's some tension that exists here. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's difficult because you might have like a science teacher, for instance, who would really like to teach in a Catholic high school or a Catholic elementary school, and the pay is less than at the state school. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I need to provide for my family, but I'd really like to teach in a Catholic school so that I can bring in my faith into the classroom. So it's a give and take, but it does become a question of, are are we actually modeling just wage doctrine in our practices of of hiring and uh, and paying our church workers. Oh yeah. Um and it is difficult because the church for so long really lived on the the religious orders. Yep. to provide for a lot of the services. Yep. And as the numbers of religious orders dwindled and now it's like okay, well, we used to get away with only giving sisters religious order this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Whereas versus Okay, well, this person now who fulfills that role has a family to provide for. Right. Now the just wage is different because their needs are different. Yep. And so that becomes difficult. And, and that is another aspect of just wage as well that John Paul II was pretty adamant about, which is that you should be able to have a one income family. Yeah. That it, you shouldn't require both parents working outside of the home. Yep. It was scandalous to me when I actually kind of dove into that and discovered that when that family grows, that it is the right of the worker to ask for an increase to be able to provide for that growth in the family. And that uh, that the employer should, as a matter of justice, allow that new family member to be provided for. And as someone in ministry who had to fight tooth and nail for nearly every salary increase I ever received, as I grew to have a family with six children, like that was scandalous when I found out I had four kids at that time. And I was like, what in the world? I was working for a diocese when I found that out. You know, it was very problematic. So right. there's some tension that exists uh, during during those uh, situations. And then there's the other side of the tension in regards to the coffers don't have the depth that we desire. I know that we have a God of abundance, but if you are a pastor and you have to look at, well, I'm get, am I going to pay this employee a more just wage and give him, say, $50,000 a year to do this task? Or am I going to pay these two employees thirty grand a year, and now we have two people doing one on this aspect and one on that aspect? There's, there's tension that exists there. And I'm not sure how to reconcile it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I do not envy people in that position because it's definitely not easy. Because it's, it's easy to talk about these in principle, but then it's it's really hard because every every parish, every diocese is going to have a different situation that they're in. I think what needs to happen, though, is they need to start thinking, okay, well, this is the problem. I don't have enough income in order to pay the people what I think they deserve and what would be just. Okay, then what can you do about it? Like, you don't just accept the fact that, well, I don't have enough money to pay you higher. I'm sorry. No, well, bring it to the parish's attention. Maybe seek assistance from wealthier parishes to see if they're willing to help you you know, ask for more assistance from the diocese or have campaigns to try to raise money, like find ways of trying to get the income to pay people a just wage and make that a priority. Now, I also want to note that a just wage, because it it is tied to being able to sustain one's family and and the like, it's more than just that, because some people say, well, just work two full-time jobs, Mm. work weekends, work nights. Well, that's not really an ideal situation in in Catholic social teaching either, because one is supposed to have ample time for social, cultural, 
in religious observance as well and practice, as well as leisure. Because Catholic social teaching takes into consideration the whole good of the person, yep. the good of the whole person and of the whole family. And it's not a humane life to just be doing nothing but work. Right. Your kids never see you. Right. Well, then you're not really being a parent to them and you're not developing that relationship. You know, are you, oh, I can't really make it to church on Sundays because I'm either have to work or I'm completely exhausted because I work the night shift, you know, and you have no time for any leisure at all or for any cultural activities or any social interaction with other people. That's not considered just either. And so the wage is to be given in a reasonable amount of hours too. Right. So that they have the freedom to have those other aspects of life and that work doesn't become everything. Because without those other aspects, it's not good for the individual, which means it's not good for the family, which means it's not good for society. Yep. Right. right. And that means that generosity is going to be limited because there's no bandwidth to be able to interact with society, to be able to see the needs, to be able to meet those needs, right? And so there's a, a whole practice of virtue that can't occur in that level. Okay, so give us give us just one or two closing thoughts, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. One thing I encourage people to do is realize that Catholic social teaching does look at every aspect of issues of justice and virtue. It really highlights, you know, what how it affects the individual, how that affects the family, how that affects the regional uh, and the global realities and how they all fit together. And so it really is a beautiful mosaic. And you, you have to pay attention to all of those aspects. You do have social responsibilities, but you also have the personal dignity. And it's you can't just emphasize one or the other per se, but they shouldn't be in conflict. The, the teaching is that they can work in harmony yes. if we implement these things properly. And I would encourage, finally, Catholic businesses. My dad started a business before I was born. And one of the things he did was he says, I want to use Catholic principles for my business. Mm. And I encourage Catholic business owners to do that. Don't just say, well, what is the person down the street doing? No, think... What does my Catholic say to me about how I should treat my workers, yep. what I should provide for them? What kind of environment should I have? And try to instill that because he he found that his business flourished because of it. Yep. His employees were happier. Their families were better taken care of. I mean, it was just a better situation all around. And the witness that that provides in the world, that mm -hmm. the person's more important than profit, that whole right. thing, you know, is... It's a huge witness. Yeah, and people really are no is. longer people are no longer bottom dollar shoppers to where the lowest price wins. They're actually looking at what makes the bigger meaning or impact in our community in our area, and they're willing to put money towards that now more than ever. In the end, it's you know God works in mysterious ways, but in some ways it ends up increasing the profits when you don't make profit the primary motive. Yeah, you're going to get better work out of your employees. You're going to have better service for your customers. You're going to have more satisfied long longer term employees and customers. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it really. I mean, there's a reason God gave us <laughs> these truths. It's because they actually work and are good mm -hmm. for us. And we have to trust that. Amen to that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Richard, how can people find you if they want to continue the dialogue or look into some of the different writings that you have, like the Vatican II collection or different things like that you've done with Word on Fire and Beyond? Right. So we have the Vatican II collection came out recently, and we're going to be doing a series of courses on that. I'm filming one right now. We're going to be doing another one based on a reading plan for it. It's going to be broken up into four courses, one on each of the major constitutions from the council. So we're going to come up with a reasonable reading plan and have videos at the beginning and end of each week. But yeah, I work at the Warner on Fire Institute. So I encourage you to go to the Warner on Fire Institute website and check us out and consider joining the institute. You have a, you get a wealth of resources through that institute. That's the easiest place to find me. I 
you know, I do have a YouTube channel, but it's, it's, I don't really do it much anymore. Now I'm working with word on fire. So sure. But yeah, I mean, that's the word on fire Institute's the best place to learn more about what we're up to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Richard. And thank you guys for joining us listeners. Uh, let's continue the conversation online. Yeah. And just one more thing. Yeah. We also do, we do have the Catholic social teaching collection book, which is great because it provides you in one volume some of the texts are full text. Some are excerpts that just give you like kind of like the essential the meat and potatoes yeah. of a particular encyclical if it's particularly long. But it's a great place to start. Like you said, reading all the documents might not be feasible. You pick up that one volume and you can read through it and have a great understanding of what all of the popes, even before Pope Leo Thirteenth, actually, because the first one's from well before that, what all of them have said and it's a great way to get a great education, Catholic social teaching. Awesome. Thank you. Um, And guys, please send any feedback you have to MLA at ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone. And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders, to dive into Catholic social teaching, and to pray about how you can navigate some of the tension that comes up in a way that brings people closer to being unified. We will see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.